0: Hi everyone. This is Rago. I'm back uh with uh, a wonderful new guest, Dr. Shafali. Dr. Shafali. Hi. So great how great to have you.
1: Thank you. Same here.
0: Yeah, I've never I have not done a podcast to my knowledge. No, I'm pretty sure that has uh, somebody who can really help us out everybody out there if you have children or even if you don't have children, you are a child. Uh, you have parents. Uh, Dr. Shafali. I'm sure, will come up today with some very helpful things. A lot of what we do is around how we can practically become more aware on a day-to-day basis without having to join any isms, Buddhism, Hinduism, or anything else. So n- this, uh, and I've read through y- some of your material and so on, and I know that you will be a great addition to helping us all navigate the day-to-day stuff that's involved and not just around children so i want to talk about a couple of things but how about just telling us a little bit about i i know you're from india just a little bit were you were you born in america or were you actually in india for a while
1: no i i was born in india and raised in india oh where? on in mumbai and Uh bangalore and then lived in bangalore and then Mm. delhi so i know Uh you've been to india and lived there did you live there for a while
0: I live well. The first time I went, I lived there for a year and a half, and uh, and I. But I have been back. I don't even. I'm going in a few days back to India. Actually, wonderful. Which, yeah, uh, yeah. I've been there uh, many, many, many times, and it's a. You know, it's more of a home for me than here. I'm actually quite happy when I'm there. There's a way in mm-hmm. which India lends itself to just. Being in a more of a moment to moment flow rather than the hectic kind of lives that we all lead here. So, you were so tell me a little bit about uh, just how you came into. Uh, I mean, certainly, I know people who live in India are uh, are brought up in a much more conscious household, as far as I know. I learned a lot about family by being in India and being with people that uh, Neem Karoli Baba our guru, uh, set us up with to just be in that that kind of an environment, which was completely different than the environment that I had grown up in myself. So what was yours like, and how did it nurture you to do some of the work that you're doing now?
1: Well, I don't know whether I would call the Indian way necessarily more conscious in an intentional sort of way, but I think it's conscious in a very connected way. And I think families there are just more connected and emotionally expressive, feelings are allowed more, I think. I don't want to compare and compete, but I think feelings are more readily expressed there. Uh, People are more outward in their expression of it, more gregarious in their show of it, unabashed. Uh, And people are more demonstrative there, Um, you know, very high energy around feelings and love and also anger <laughs> so you get it yeah. all but but it's all outwardly expressed kind of it's not suppressed as much as i feel the western mindset um needs it to be so i grew up in in a very connected home and felt very connected to my parents but i don't know whether i would say they consciously chose that way i think it was their way you know um but then when i came to america i was exposed more formally to meditation and Spirituality, and then really? just like a fish into water. Just I left India, but the moment I came here, maybe a few weeks later, got into it. It's almost as if I couldn't do it back home because it was so readily available. I could <laughs> see, I could see the ocean because I was in it. But the minute I came here, <laughs> I just I went back into it.
0: Really?
1: and uh, I studied yeah. at the California Institute of Integral Studies, which is a forerunning institution in San Francisco, which blends Eastern and Western thought. And so I studied psychology with Eastern philosophy and, uh, have been doing that ever since.
0: Hmm. Wow. That's funny. You come to America uh, and, and get triggered into all of this. That's pretty amazing. And you were rather young then too. Yeah. Not was that 20, you're rather young just, still. Just, just
1: 22. Yeah.
0: Really? Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. Oh, and by the way, everybody, um, you, I mean, we're going to have this and I usually do this at the end to say that, uh, Dr. Shafali has written a couple of great uh, books, uh, A Conscious Parent and uh, The Awakened Family, and and I know Oprah's been a, a big part of getting the word out uh, with you, and she loves what you do. And uh, so all of that, we'll be linking it up, everybody, when we uh, put it up on the, on the podcast page, notes, show notes, and you'll be able to find them easily and also... Uh, Dr. Shefali has a great website that led me to a lot of what uh, what you do. Uh, so I mean, the first things that struck me uh, was around uh, awakened life. I mean, many of the things you talk about are, are things that we talk about on a day to day on this podcast on the Be here Now network, stuff we do with Ramdas in Maui. We have these retreats a couple of times a year. And, of course, mindfulness is a major thing. We, we have our Buddhist friends uh, that join us, Jack Cornfield and Sharon Salzberg most particularly. And there's a, a couple of things here that I'd like you to just sort of elaborate on a little bit. Um, and one of them is around awakened life. And what tell us what that means to you, uh, and how uh, everybody can relate to this beyond any kind of secular religion or anything that they happen to be a part of.
1: Yeah, it's it's my it is the uh, my ultimate favorite topic to talk about. Yeah, <laughs> is how do we become more awakened? And I think the core path to that awakening, uh, as you said, is mindfulness. But many people find mindfulness, some sort of esoteric cult-like thing that they have to indulge in in the Himalayas, and they don't realize it's the key to living a more engaged life. So what is that? It's the ability and power to be aware, um, preferably moment by moment, of how it is our emotional baggage from the past obscures our ability to live fully present in the moment. And part of that work or uh, or ability to be aware requires that you delve within yourself and you see yourself as a psychological being and so delve into your psychological past and understand your patterns and conditioning from childhood. You see yourself as a cultural archetypal product where you've been fed cultural archetypes and you need to deconstruct them to figure out what really works for you and then to see yourself as a spiritual being where you are beyond all identities and you're beyond your past and you're beyond your parent's child and and, and to unlock and free yourself from labels and definitions and cultural, cultural conditionings and the shoulds of other people's requirements of you and to begin to live a more authentic life, a more you truly life, a, a life that's closely aligned with who it is you can most truly be. And most of us live trapped, you know, we live trapped by our past, by what our parents thought of us, their limitations, their unconsciousness. We live trapped by cultures, limited ideas of how humanity should rise. We live trapped by our own inability to see our divinity. So we're really living mired lives based in fear. So my work is very much about unlocking that fear so that we can be as liberated as possible. Mm.
0: Right. Great. So in terms of awakened life, one of the uh, vigilance was a word that I noticed in, in some of what you have written. And, um, you know, it's it, it's a little bit of a maybe a tough word for people. Nobody wants to be vigilant, but we uh, we certainly have all kinds of motivations, different kinds of motivations for every act that we do on a moment to moment basis. And I think vigilance is uh, a word, you know, that uh, I think for the inner workings to really find ourselves, that there has to be that, that vigilance. And, of course, they talk about that in mindfulness. Uh, yeah, talk about vigilance. And there's three words that really struck me, Dr. Shafali: Vigilance, courage, and patience regarding uh, really uh, being able to reveal the stuff that especially the shadow stuff that we can allow to come up so we can transform it yeah
1: yeah i think vigilance is scary for people because it requires this kind of heightened awakened engaged curiosity and people like to not have to work so hard but really they can see it as a moving away from apathy and indecisiveness and a lazy passivity really but but you're right people don't want to move away from those things because those things are comforting those things allow for the known and stagnancy and what I'm asking or what mindfulness asks is that you look at every moment as a new moment and you are Vigilantly awakened to the possibility that each moment is here to teach you something new so then you are a student in every moment and That's tough for people because people don't want to be so ignited all the time, you know, but that's the way to living a more full and engaged life. And then you use the words courage and patience. So then you have to have the courage to to look into the mirror and see what is what it is that life is bringing you. And to answer the call to delve deeper to ask, how am I how am I meeting this moment? What am I bringing to this moment? How is my past? influencing the present how am I mm. what is my energy doing in this moment that could be obscuring real connection and this is especially true with children you know have the courage to look in the mirror that they provide you and ask the difficult questions you know what part of my past is my child reflecting to me now mm. how can I how can I see my own inner child in my real child how can I use this moment perhaps to go back and Heal my own inner wounds. Now that takes courage, right? And then patience. Patience is required because we are, you know, we're slow to change as humans. So it takes time. And when people come to me, they want to become conscious fast. But (laughs) consciousness is... It is America, huh? (laughs) Yes, and that's the whole point of it, right? Is to go against what the mainstream has taught us. And consciousness will teach you that, that there is no time and it doesn't run with a clock or based on money. It's really about your own ability to live this life awakened. It takes inner work. You know, no one wants to do the inner work because that doesn't bring money, but that brings something more infinitely uh, eternal. It brings freedom. Um, But that's too unquantifiable, right? And we're a culture that's based on palpability and materialism and things you can touch and feel and that can buy us bigger cars and houses. So mindfulness and consciousness is not so sexy, but once people realize how much liberation it can bring, they do become converts, but it takes time, you know, and, and to walk the path, you have to have patience.
0: Yeah. And you have to have patience. Is it not true with, uh, your own, foibles which is judging i mean we sit around and judge ourselves day in day out and the the patience of being human you know and allowing for that so we can be a, a little bit more spacious about what it is that uh, we see come up i mean when i was first in india uh, i told you before we got on with uh, ramdas when we went to see his guru who became mine um uh, it, because that was such a pure mirror of you know, an enlightened being, you get to see your mind on an infinitely more detailed and present basis, and it was oh my god, you know, and uh, and the, a lot of uh, judgment went along. I mean, Ramdas tells a famous story of. When he understood, because when he first met Neem Karoli Baba, he told him all about his mother who had died of a spleen. And in in English, he spoke no English, supposedly. He said, your mother died of spleen, and she died of spleen cancer. And nobody could know that. And so Ramda started to think, oh, Jesus, he knows that. He knows everything. And he started to feel so guilty about all of the bullshit that was in his head, you know, all of these thoughts that we all have. And he looked up, and he saw the just unconditional love. There was, and it allowed for him to have the spaciousness to not judge himself, and eventually have way more patience about just being human. So that was a huge teaching, and something he talks about, of course, a lot these days. And
1: uh, well, well, judgment judgment is, uh, you know, in part a projection of some misplaced narcissism, right? It's this perfectionistic ideal. That we should be different mm-hmm. and the, the should comes from us from our own self or from our parental inner selves or our cultural inner selves and it's just a projection because because it isn't what it is it's got to be a projection right mm-hmm. so any any shoulds is what it is not so then you're mo- deviating from what it is so you're projecting onto it what it isn't yeah. um And i think what we project onto it is some narcissism that we should be perfect and we should not be what we just were which is just so fallacious you know
0: yeah well we do it
1: we do it to our children all the time
0: yeah well we're going to get there yeah that's a whole other thing but we're narcissists day to day we wake up in the morning me 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 i got to do this i'm thinking that oh my god somebody else is going to call me my mother, my and, wife, my t- it's right, just me, me, right. me, and me.
1: Right, so even when we're mired in shame and guilt about what other people may be thinking about us, that's fully narcissistic because they are not even thinking of you, right? And we're, we're, we're like, So say you, you committed a foible yesterday. Uh, most average people would be tormenting themselves the next day about the fool they made of themselves yesterday, thinking about what are people thinking about me? But no one's thinking about them it's their it's their narcissistic projection that people are caring to to think about them right yeah. that's how so even in shame we are narcissistically preoccupied
0: yeah yeah it's unbelievable <laughs> really it's it's just
1: <laughs> it's, it's but 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 that's we have to be compassionate because that yeah. is the human condition yeah and we, we have to love that part of ourselves like we we think so much of ourselves that we are so ashamed even that is just a funny paradox isn't it
0: yeah yeah, no, really. And the other the other word here, we have vigilance and courage and patience, is commitment, you know, commitment to, as you call it, the inner, to awareness of the inner emotional tapestry. Mm-hmm. And uh, that uh, commitment's a big word, too, which takes courage. And, uh, y- you know, we talk about, uh, t- in terms of motivation, I mean, Jesus, we have all the motivation in the world these days, in our social, uh, cultural, political lives, especially with what's going on in this country, and people are saying, "Well, what can I do to help?" And so, commitment to dealing with your uh, inner emotional tapestry is certainly one thing that that we all can do. And uh, yeah, talk about commitment—what that means—and it's to me, it's beyond oneself into a larger yeah. scope.
1: right. So commitment uh, is, is a word that rolls off easily from everyone's tongue, you know? Everyone wants the other to be committed to them. And everyone wants the pol- politicians to be committed to them and government to be uh, answerable. But I see commitment as your own daily accountability, right? And it's at different levels. There's a material commitment, so how you take care of the material things in your life. So you pay your bills, you take care of your body, you, you cook your kid food. It's taking care of the material commitments. It's action-based. Commitment is action-based. It's not just a mental phenomenon. And then there's a spiritual commitment you make. But you have to choose that. And many people don't choose that, right? So when you make a spiritual commitment to your life, which is beyond the religious, you're really committing to living an awakened life, which means the, the daily indulgence of self-awareness, right? You have to turn the mirror inward. And be willing to see your own mind, your own judgments, your own projections, your own narcissisms, self absorptions and be willing to call yourself on it and then take the action to change it. So everyone is committed to the degree that others are committed to them. But no one is really committed just for the sake of their own engagement with life. And and that's where I think the spiritual life demarcates itself. It's not about a, a, a payback. It's not about a paycheck. It's not about approval or validation from anyone it's your own inner commitment to how you want to live your most true self and life mm-hmm. and yeah, taking action yeah. taking action every day toward it
0: yeah and most of us don't take that action until we have a bunch of pain yes. sadness anger whatever thank it good, is.
1: thank goodness for pain
0: yeah and that's <laughs> the yeah, that, and uh, you know and you talk about pain as a portal to consciousness and uh, very apt and we uh Actually, one of our Ramdas's little sayings is um, suffering brings me closer to God, is how he puts it. But pain is a portal to consciousness, is uh, to me synonymous. But uh, people certainly, of course, pain is very difficult. And we're not talking just about, of course, not just physical pain, emotional pain, just the pain of, of, uh, of the fear of thoughts, fear of. Uh, Past and future and all of that. Right. Uh, so, yeah, talk about uh, the uh, the consciousness that can come from a different uh, vantage point around pain and suffering.
1: Yeah. So, if you don't awaken voluntarily, which very few people do, and don't see this life as a journey toward a greater consciousness, which few people do, what will inevitably happen is that you live a life that's unconscious, and to me, an unconscious life is a life filled with projection and attachment. Attachment to others as the portals to yourself. So when you attach to others, you use them to define who it is you are, or you attach to ways of thinking or belief systems or institutionalized uh, religion or, you know, cults or any which way to, to siphon off a sense of self. So those attachments begin to become your identity. And that to me is the hallmark of an unawakened life, where you use these attachments to fill your inner self. And then when you wake up, you realize, oh, I had to fill myself all on my own. So, pain then, which really jars the attachment. So, what is pain typically? It's physical pain and emotional pain on a very basic level. So, physical pain is something happens to your body. And so you are jarred in your attachment to your physical form. And then you begin to realize, oh, I have been so dependent on this physical form as my identity. And now something's happened to it to make it imperfect or to create, you know, uh, terminalities making me confront the limitations of it. So now who am I in the face of this limitation? So you're forced to confront who it is you are finally, something beyond your body. And the other kind of attachments that we glom onto in life are our emotional relationships or our attachments to our things, our possessions. So when a hurricane takes away your possessions, or death takes away your loved one, or divorce takes away your marriage, or whatever the loss is, you are now confronted with who am I without these things, which is a wonderful place to arrive, because we should have been answering that question from birth. Actually, from birth, we probably knew who we were, but that was abducted from us. So now we return to that. But in between who we knew we were in childhood to adulthood, we are... are, falsely led to believe that we are our body we're falsely led to believe we are our identity to career identity to relationships identity as mother daughter husband wives and the roles we play that's all a lie we are not that we are beyond the roles and pain then which comes to take something away from us physically or emotionally then leaves us you know where we're left in the sieve the, the what's left in the sieve is the question who am i And now you begin to confront it because you've been bereft of that which you were holding on to to create a sense of false identity. So now you begin the spiritual path of answering that. And it's treacherous and it's scary. But it's a wonderful place to be because maybe finally you begin to live as you were meant to live all along.
0: Mm. Yes, not to mention uh, karma, which is a whole other topic because once you do, I, I've been doing a series with some of these teachers uh, that I've mentioned to you over, over the last couple of months around the wisdom of karma, getting real in the wisdom of karma, and how once you get uh, a pick a, it's not just, of course, cause and effect, but once you get a good picture of what actions you actually uh, do on a day to day basis that res- that have real results throughout your life uh, you, there there's a real motivation to to really check out what it is uh, you know your internal clock, your internal motivations, and so on. so uh, I think that that's also a pain uh, leading us to be more conscious and and more aware. Uh, leads us also to know that these things aren't just confined to ourselves. We're affecting people around us uh, in, in a very large way. So I think that's important, too. Um, so let's go into what your, you know, your, your expertise around family and uh, parenting and so on. Uh, and let me just tell you that, um, I mean, I came from... Not a very great family, and I was uh, m- my mother dealt with pr- uh depression most of her life uh, or the early part of her life. Uh, my father was in the war and he was very angry and uh, and uh, so it was a very turbulent time in my formative years and uh and I was one of the fortunate people that I personally know in that uh, I, uh, I had a, a miracle was performed literally on my father came to India to see me and my brother to see why we had gone there to be with this being and he literally turned him in a, around in a way that was miraculous and mm-hmm. from that point on we had a real relationship and my whole family as I mentioned before came together they all were in India. And they all had this experience. So uh, we became more like a quote-unquote Indian family, shall we say, a little bit. That's amazing. So, yeah, it was amazing. But that's, of course, uh, it was a rare thing. And, um, and I know one of the most important things that I've heard came from um, His Holiness the Dalai Lama, who said we would all be, uh, we will all be, very well off if we have mothers that embrace us and love us over those formative first years uh, with love and compassion. He said, I had that and that's why this, uh, you know, this manifests in my life right now. And so, we do know the extraordinary importance of that in in formative years and in ongoing years which uh, is not happening very much in this culture and thank god you're talking about it so yeah can you take us right back to to the initial uh a baby is born and what can happen that really can uh make a huge difference in our um in the rest of our lives
1: well i think you know first It's so hard for the mother in the first few years because she's exhausted. She's being confronted with a new reality herself. She may not have the support. So it's easy for us to say, you know, she should be X, Y, and Z. But I want to first acknowledge how difficult it is for the mother to be psychologically prepared, leave alone spiritually prepared. I remember that I thought I would be both psychologically and spiritually prepared. But there's really nothing to prepare you to encounter the advent of this new relationship with a being you've never met before and who is changing moment after moment. And, um, you know, there's no volition left anymore, really, because you're kind of stuck with this being now. You know, you can't divorce them, you can't leave them, you can't leave your job, it's not a job. This is it. So that's the beauty of this relationship, that it's uh, the encountering of a new being. Therefore, you get to see a new part of yourself. Therefore, you get to discover yourself in a very raw, unedited way. But what's missing really is that people don't realize that this is the portal to spiritual awakening because Mm -hmm. it's this pain of meeting someone new, the unfamiliarity, the unknown, the exhaustion, the unknown territory. No one ever tells you. Every child is different. Uh, Can't rely on anybody. No book can tell you how to do this. It's precisely the pain of this restructuring of the self that allows you to break open because you are forced to release all that you previously held to be true, and now stay in the moment and meet this new being as if you've never seen this being before or yourself, because you haven't. So this is where you get the opportunity to not impose your projection, but this is where we all fail, right? Because we enter the parenting process fully thinking we're going to be in control, we're going to be in charge, it's us against them, it's us to them, and we are projection central. And this is where everything gets screwed up because we not only miss the opportunity for our own growth, we also subvert the authentic arising of the child's authentic Mm. self because we've projected everything onto them. So we own them, we control them, we possess them, and we're going to do to them what our unconscious parents did to us. And this is how the legacy of pain continues generation after generation.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's awful.
1: (laughs) (sighs) But, but again, this is also the human condition. So it yeah. is what it
0: is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about, go ahead and talk about some real um, advice on what a mother can do. I, I know, especially in the first, you know, when a baby is born and then those first few months, it's extraordinarily difficult. And it's easy to say, uh, you know, connect with that inner part of yourself and be more aware, be mindful and all of that. And like you say, when you're not getting any sleep and you have no idea what the hell to do with this new human being. But so what are some of the things you would suggest uh, as people trying to navigate this? What did you well, do? I,
1: well, I kind of had a hint that this was a very important time because I think? was studying psychology. But. I didn't realize the spiritual impact. I didn't realize how infancy in particular is a time for spiritual regeneration in the parent, because the infant, you see, is so moment to moment. The infant is so in the present. The infant is so in its eternal, infinite timeline. Like the moments are long in infancy. You know, people say time goes quickly, Yeah, but the moments are long. Uh, so those moments force the parent to be very present very awake you're forced to give without necessarily getting so again it's a dissolution of your egoic needs and agendas the the infant just keeps taking from you and you can't be in your mind right you have to be present in a very sensorial nonverbal way these are all mindfulness practices so you get to practice mindfulness and that's i didn't realize this would be the replete opportunity for mindfulness so i began doing that um and then what i didn't didn't realize is that there would be this roar of the ego i didn't realize that either and i thought i was past the ego i thought my unconditional love would bury the ego i and then i was sadly mistaken because i had to confront how full of ego i was and
0: My daughter was, yeah. No, go ahead. Uh, The internet just got unstable. Go ahead. Sorry.
1: So around the age of three, when my daughter was three, I began to realize how conditional my love was and how the ego was so strong. And then I began to realize um, that this is a common parenting problem Hmm. and uh, began to help other parents with it.
0: Hmm. Um. and then as time goes on things evolve how many children do you have may I ask
1: I have one daughter she's 15. one daughter
0: oh really as time has gone on of course many other uh, issues come up and uh, certainly there can be a, a little bit of a tug of war between the individual wanting to express themselves individually and, uh, and wanting more freedom and so on. And there's a lot of uh, times people push back, which happened to me and created a lot of stuff that I am still dealing with today, uh, all this time later. So, yeah, take, take us through a little bit of the, the process. Um, and you talk about awakened family. Uh, take us a little bit through the process of what that really means. And you have, of course, you know, your partner, your husband, the child, and you're moving through time and you're moving through all sorts of different uh, people's different agendas, different uh, egoic needs and so on. So how did you yourself uh, navigate that?
1: Um it's, it's difficult, you know, because you are... For me, an awakened family is one that is committed to the rising of the authentic self. It's a, a family that understands it's part of the grander family in the universe. It's a beyond borders of name or clan or blood. It's really the understanding that we are all the human family here to evolve. And what does evolution mean? It becomes... It's how do you become your most true self? So my goal in 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 my family has been to raise my daughter to be her truest self as possible. But the only way she can be true is if I'm true. And, uh, and then my partner has to discover his own truth. So we are all navigating this together. And sometimes the roads cross over and uh, mess each other up. And sometimes they flow beautifully. But this is what it is about. It's about how do we assist each other to become true that's really what we're all here for is is uh, to help each other grow we just don't know where we're doing that and if we could become conscious of it we'd do it more intentionally and uh, get out of each other's way when we're stopping the other one's growth but because we don't pitch our life like that and because life is pitched so reductionistically so limited as a as a goal of you know as having goals of success or achievement i mean those are such meager goals compared to the goal of spiritual growth and authentic truth if only we could move away from the material goals into the more spiritual goals we'd all be more uh excited to be here and and to help each other out
0: Hmm. you talk about uh when you're in an intimate relationship not with with your child with your children with your partner with uh, yourself with yourself yeah it's it's uh i like what you said the biggest wound within us reopen because of this and uh, actually it's uh, work that I've been doing uh, myself recently and realizing this and uh, it's uh, it's very helpful to re- to realize this and become more aware of it so that you know one can deal with it but talk a little bit about how that intimacy actually and and to me I, I talked about karma a little bit ago um, and I think that we are placed with people, we gravitate towards people uh, uh, just absolutely to help us become free and where these wounds get revealed. So they're the perfect, the perfect child, the perfect partner, and so on. Would you uh, talk about, I, yeah, the reopening yeah. of wounds?
1: You know, we attract people in our lives based on how whole we are within. And if we still aren't settled in an inner wholeness, We'll attract people that reflect that to us. Um, And when we have done the inner work to become more whole, we'll then either continue in that relationship or move away. So every relationship then becomes an opportunity to show us how further away we are from the center of our wholeness. And what an opportunity to see that. But unfortunately, when the relationship mirrors that to us, we don't like looking in the mirror. And we blame the other person for showing us our scars and our schisms and our incongruencies instead of being so grateful that I can get to see this. Uh, No one can make us feel empty if we weren't empty inside. No one can make us feel sad if we weren't already ready to be disappointed. So taking ownership of everything that's happening on the external level as a marker for what's happening inside changes the whole game, right? There's no more victimhood and martyrdom. It's all... A, a curious and eager embrace of our growth.
0: A little humility might be good in all of that as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. That that We're here to become whole, which means that we're probably broken, which is probably what the relationship is reflecting. So instead of blaming and warding the other one off, we allow those lessons to teach us. Mm. Yeah. But when we think we're already whole, then of course we're going to blame the other one and say, you're the one who's messed up, not me.
0: Yeah, well, and there's many different ways that wound can manifest itself, and yeah. uh, I know in in my own case, my my thing has been uh, a little bit of an inheritance from my father around anger and righteousness, and mm-hmm. righteousness is a very difficult thing yeah.
1: to get through. Yeah, men men specialize in. that. Uh, they do? Eh? <laughs> I think I think women do too, but we are more victimy and martyr martyrdomy. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but men men like to be arrogant and indignant. But yeah. but you know I'm, I'm I'm stereotyping. It's all of us, are all things. So.
0: yeah, I think you're right. Though.
1: <laughs> but you you guys yeah have a good and and heavy hold on anger. That's for sure. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's a tough one. Yeah. Boy. Oh boy. Oh boy. Yeah. Uh, I like your story. Tell your story of uh, when you were just starting out as a therapist, and uh, you know in your early twenties you know, the story of, of who you thought you were and you were getting overburdened and what happened. Talk about that. I think that's very revealing and helpful.
1: You're getting that uh, from my talk. Uh, yeah. From the pain is, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, just, you know, when you're a young therapist, if you have those genes within you that want to save the world. Um, oh, yeah. Nobody take... has that.
0: That's <laughs> singular for you.
1: So then you take on, other people's pain and you want to control it you know you want to fix it because you haven't yet resolved your own inner pain so that that was me when i was young i wanted to fix all the pain in the world that's why i became a therapist and i wanted to ameliorate the struggles people were experiencing but i was coming at it in a highly agendified and egoic way i wanted because it served me to be Uh, to be in the image of a rescuer, of a savior. And it took me many years to let that go. You know, that I'm not here to save anyone. In fact, that which is causing the struggle is probably their biggest growth inducer. So why am I taking it away? And that everyone comes to evolution on their own and that people need to hit rock bottom before they rise up. So I learned all these lessons and slowly chipped away at my narcissistic rescue fantasy and learn to be with people in their pain, and learn to be humble in that pain, and learn to just allow, and it helped me so much in my own life, and with my child, to just allow them to be in that space of struggle, without wanting to to swoop in and fix it.
0: Mm. Narcissistic mm-hmm. fix, fixing fantasy, yes. Yeah, I, I've yeah. been there. Uh, that's so great. Um, and giving and receiving you talk about as well and 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 certainly in in relation to uh love and how we uh, it's more of a business deal a lot of the time you love me and i'll love you back but if you don't forget about it There's
1: it's trans- the, uh, it's transactional very it's yeah
0: it's yeah it's exactly that and it's not uh, you know uh, that's why when we went to india and we were with this being it was a one-way street. There was nothing about transactional whatsoever. And we had never met anything like this in our lives. It was like uh, some kind of outer space person. But giving and receiving, and you know, you talk about reciprocal relationships between the things we put out or give to the universe and what uh, we receive back and moving into uh, from conditionality to unconditionality. To me, that's... Uh, Uh, And you're talking about love equals good parenting, but conditional love, not necessarily. So I think that's, is that not the crux of of really um, good parenting, awakened family, awakened life, all of it?
1: It is the crux of it, is moving away from the transactionality of life. But you see, the reason we enter transactions unconsciously Is because we truly are under the delusion that that thing that we believe we're going to get is going to make us whole. That's how we go for it. But when, and and we never get it. So we keep, the delusion keeps continuing instead of mitigating. And we go, okay, not this husband, next husband. Okay, not this child, the next child. Okay, not this grade, the next grade. But when we finally wake up to the understanding that nothing on the outside can fulfill us, then we realize what's there to take from anyone. And the only way to take is from ourselves and from our own eternal relationship with our own divinity. And then we change the focus, you see. So our quest is earnest. You know, we truly believe that that person needs to give us something because it will make us happier, right? That's why we go for it. But when we realize that it cannot and does never, then we slowly start waking up to the profound truth that the only person who we can receive from is our own connection to source, our own connection to our own worth, our own wholeness. Then we let go, you see? So your Neem Karoli ba- Baba, he figured that out. He's like, okay, I get it. My own connection to divinity is what's going to fill me. I don't need mortals to give me anything. I just need to radiate with this connection. And that's what he did. Yeah. He was transpersonal, right? He was transcendental.
0: Yeah. Of course, you... <laughs> well he went into a cave you know for ex yeah, god knows how long right, right. and you it, one of the things you say conscious living it's not about being entombed in a protective cave in the himalayas well for some people it works and they come out and no, then uh, they w- can
1: right right but i just but also I'm spirituality kidding. no but but you're right because spirituality gets pitched as that and i don't want people to think that unless they do that yeah, yeah. they can't achieve anything you know
0: yeah i uh I met a great, when I first was in India that time, I met a great Tibetan Lama and, uh, I'm from Canada so I was with some, uh, interviewers with the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation and we, they were going into a room to interview him and, they said, Do you want to come? I said, yeah, sure, I want to come. So they went in and they were interviewing him. They were asking dumb questions about what he thought about Christianity. I don't know anything about Christianity. You know, it was, he was bored with them, I could tell, and they could tell. And they turned to me and said, well, why don't you ask him a question? And he just sat up and really contacted me. And I said, I've been in the mountains and meditating and I'm just completely in a wonderful, free, aware place. I didn't say it quite like that and now i'm in the city it was in delhi i'm in the city and i'm completely you know bamboozled i'm not holding any awareness or anything what, do you what do you, do you have to be in a in the himalayas and it was this question and he said absolutely not in fact and he told me the story of the seven siddhas of india who all became enlightened through work weaver potter whatever it may be and well, it, you
1: know, in, in Zen Buddhism, it's the sweeping and the daily, yeah. the daily.
0: Attentive. Chopping wood. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 So it's it's about where you are, not where you need to get to, which is something you've read in a book. It's just wherever you are.
0: Yeah. Um, but I think and I, I say to everybody listening, uh, it is good to take time off and shut your phone off. And go to a place where you can spend a weekend even or a week uh, where you're focusing on that inner part of yourself and allowing that to, to just flourish right, and, Absolutely. and give it attention. Se- Absolutely.
1: Several, several times a year. That's why I'm doing this thing in San Francisco, uh, where, wherever I'm doing in Santa Cruz, uh, this meditation retreat. Because that's how you replenish yourself, when you go back into quiet to listen to who it is you are.
0: Yeah. Which brings up, Dr. Shefali is, uh, 1440 is a sponsor of ours, Dr. Shefali. And we are, you know, so totally aligned in our values. And we are just, you know, extraordinarily happy to have them uh, in the partnership that we have. And so, Dr. Shefali will be going to 1440 April 20th through 22nd, you'll be doing something and, and uh, I think it's a workshop kind of a deal, right? And then you're going to do a meditation thing after that. What kind yeah. of meditation are you teaching? Yeah.
1: Well, it's uh, based on Vipassana meditation. Vipassana, is, okay. Yeah. insight meditation, but it will also have guided meditation and uh, using walking meditation and imagery and uh, maybe some art to tune into the self and to be contemplative and cut off mm. from the, the desire to verbally express, to express yourself in a different way. So the first part of the five days is a conscious parenting workshop where will help parents understand the principles and aspects of conscious parenting. And then the second part is the contemplative retreat
0: part. Right. Again, April 20th, it starts, so the whole thing. It's April twenty through 25th. You'll go to, again, go to the show notes page on BeHereNowNetwork.com slash MindRolling. And we'll have all the links so you can join Dr. Shafali at 1440, which is an extraordinarily beautiful campus. Uh, and uh, I would look forward to this myself if I wasn't going to India to do my own little retreat. So, But uh, one of these days, I'd love to meet you. This has been great
1: thank you, you. ragu same here thank you
0: it's really wonderful so uh again everything will be available dr Shafali's books links all of it on be here now network and this is mind rolling and we shall see you next week bye-bye